We're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I like to take from time to time this map out and just remind myself of what our responsibilities are as a child of God. God so loved the world. Once again, what percentage of the world's population lives with us here in America? Four. 90%, 96% of the world lives somewhere else. And they, need, they have the same need we have. They have a problem with sin, a problem with the law of God that, that makes sin more powerful, and a problem with death that only Jesus can answer. Islam has no answer for that. Hinduism has no answer for that. Confucianism has no answer for that. Worshiping your ancestors has no answer for sin, the law, and the death. But God does. And they need to hear the gospel of Christ and hear every service in March especially. We're going to be talking about our responsibility to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. One of the cheapest ways to support missions is through finances, but it's a starting point. God says where your man's treasure is, there his heart. I want God to work in my heart. I want God to work on your heart. And God's not broke. He's not nervous. He doesn't have a headache. God's got a purpose. He's doing something. He is not bothered by administrations. He's not bothered by a pandemic. Through this pandemic, if there's anything we ought to realize is that people are dying at a faster rate and need the gospel. There are things we can do where our little dollar here might be a lot more in Peru, might be a lot more in Zambia. What we do, and, and oftentimes we get caught up in, in materialism. It's killing us. We spent already a month in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 where, where Jesus was, was hard-hitting. He says, quit worrying. Take no thought. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do something every day that matters for eternity. I look into the eyes of a young man today, and he can do anything he wants to do. He's smart. He's talented. He's gifted. He's got great parents. He's got a beautiful fiancé. But just challenge him. He already was there. But I said, listen, don't spin your wheels just trying to make another buck, trying to have another toy. Do something that matters for eternity. Say, Pastor, I'm, I, I'm there. I don't care. If I, have a, if, I have a, if I can do something that would matter for eternity, and all of us ought to do that. One of the things I love, World Evangelism, of course, many of you know my story. I was 17 years old when Brother Don Sisk encouraged the ushers of our church to give everyone a faith promise commitment card. I'm not a missionary. I'm willing to go. If God wants me to go tomorrow, I would, I would resign and I would do whatever God wants me to do. I'm not stuck in one place and the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell therein. But I know what happened to me when I started to give to missions. And it was just five bucks a week initially at 17 years old. And now it's hundreds of dollars a week. And it's, it's seeing God give through us more than he would give to us. Giving to missions is not a matter of wealth. It's a matter of willingness. It's a matter of starting someplace. It's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of concern. But you'll never be concerned, in my opinion, about the world until you start giving to the world. Giving is the training wheels that gets us going on that situation, on that road to see what God's trying to accomplish. They always tell you when you start giving and investing, you always need to start young. 
Start when you're young. If you wait till you're 50 to decide you want to get a retirement plan, you're, you're too late. Probably 30 years too late. I mean, you can do something, but it's probably not the best plan. And I think in, in this time where we're looking at eternity and God's world, I think we all ought to be concerned about what is God doing and how can I get involved. Every once in a while I hear someone, I want to do something great for God. I think I'd rather do something great with God. We're laborers together with him. He's doing something, and you want to be a part of what he's doing. And now he's a God of process. He's not in a hurry. He's sometimes slow, but never late. He never overlooks preparation. I think David is a prime example. We're in David and Goliath right now, and David, as a teenager, was anointed with oil and anointed to be king. He didn't sit in that throne for years. It was a long time from the time he was only a king until he became a king. There's a lot of things going on that God was working stuff out of David and training and preparing him. As I think about this month, I've been thinking about a lot about this story. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. In 16 and 15, you find the sin of Saul and how that he was presumptuous. And when he was approached by God and said, hey... Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Is God delighted in sacrifice at the expense of obedience? I don't think so. We learned last month, if you, you got a gift at the offer of God and you go there and you're getting ready to give your offering and God reminds you of someone that you got awed against, he said, well, leave your gift and go get that straightened out because personal relationships are important to God. Morality is important to God. Honesty is important to God. Marriage is important to God. Love is important to God. Grace is important to God. But uh, God dealt with him, and, and instead of him repenting and humbling himself, here's Saul's response. I've sinned, but honor me now. Don't get crazy. I don't know about you, friends, and I, I, can't, I can't testify. I've only lived 53 years, and these are some things that I, I, want, I long to make sure that my heart is always sensitive to the Lord. And I want God yelling at me, and if I'm wrong, I need to admit it and quit it. I don't want to get callous and apathetic. That's, you want to see Saul's life? At the end of his life, he fell on a sword, and he didn't do a good job, so I'm going to have to come along and finish him off. It was terrible. He was going to witches, trying to get some kind of a, a word from God because he wouldn't fess up with his sin. He said, okay, all right, I, didn't, I shouldn't have done that wrong, but don't get crazy. Honor me now. Don't take the kingdom away. Come on, that's, that's a little, little too much. And remember this, when we cover our sin, we will not. But whoso confesses and forsakes sin shall have mercy. Well, God finally gave him chances to confess it, and then he said to Samuel, Quit your crying and go, go get another king. Don't keep asking me for Saul. Saul's done. I put a fork in him. It's over. He's continued to callous his heart. He's apathetic. I'm going to find a young man after my own heart. The next king is going to think like me. He's going to feel like I feel, and he's going to want what I want. We can see the story in the book of, uh, in the book of Psalms. In the Song of Psalms in chapter 78, you'll see 71 verses talking about God's goal to get the gospel to the, to the next generation. 
and the failure of the nation of Israel to do it. And then he said, and then I chose David, my servant, from the sheepfolds, following around ewes, being great with child, expecting ewes that, that were frustrated, they were, they were fallen over, they were going to have a baby any time. He said, he followed them around. But he had sincere integrity in his heart. He had skillfulness with his hands. And I knew that he understood stewardship. When I think about those verses, I reminded that David, number one, he was selected by God. He was asked to do something by God. Number two, he was a servant. Number three, he had a shepherd's heart. By the way, everybody in here, man, woman, old or young, all of us can do that. We can, we can be chosen and, and, and appointed by the Lord. We can be servants of God. We can have a shepherd's heart. We can understand stewardship. He said the, he understood the sheep weren't his sheep. He said, this is, I'm going to feed my people, Jacob. He, was, he had integrity of heart. He said he'll do his work with integrity of heart, sincerity, and skillfulness of hands. He'll use his skills. He'll develop his skills. He'll be very good at what he does. And by the way, all of us ought to have that testimony. But as you think about the story, of course, uh, Samuel goes over to seize Jesse, and he goes through the seven boys, or at least six of them, and said, don't you have another one? They brought in David back, and from following the, sh following the sheep, he comes in. They said, we're not going to stand, not going to sit down until he shows up. And they stood up and waited for him to get there. He came. God, is this the guy? Yes, he's the one. He anointed him with oil. He prayed over him. And then David goes back to, to the shepherds, um, to, the sh to the sheep. Somewhere in the process, it got out that he was a very good musician and that he was a good young man. And Saul, because he no longer had the Spirit of God and he actually got double whammy with an evil spirit upon him, he's bothered all the time. He's just, he's already, he's just in full of drama, full of problems, full of oppression, full of depression, full of anger. And so they're thinking, well, let's get a musician here. So they said, well, there's a kid out in the, on the shepherd field. I saw him play the guitar, and he, he can do it. He's beautiful. He's skilled. He's cunning in music. So they brought him in there, and unbeknownst, he got used to seeing the palace that one day he would sit in that palace. He would sit on that throne. He got used to seeing the chamberlains and the people in there, whatever it is that a, a palace looked like in Israel at the time. God brought him in the back door, and he played for Saul, and he was very successful. Saul caught his attention, who he was, but you'll find later he doesn't even remember who he is. By the way, people that don't, that don't have God upon their, they don't care about other people. All they care is about them. Not interested in learning somebody else's situation, who they are. They're all stuck on themselves. And Saul was a great poster child for selfishness and self-will. Nonetheless, he he, uh, he now, we've got, a, we've got a battle on our hands. If you look at chapter 17, verse number 1, you'll see the Philistines. This is the nemesis for the children of Israel. They have come and they've set themselves on one side of the valley of Elah and, and the Israelites on the other side of the valley of Elah. And then they sending down their champion, Goliath. He is, um, he is tall, is about as, just about as tall as a basketball goal. 
six cubits, and then he also has a span. And a cubit normally was the top of man's hand to his elbow. Of course, I imagine no matter what, how, how tall the guy was, but, but that and a span, about the distance between the, the pinky and your, and your thumb there, this guy was huge. His armor, just his armor alone, weighed 155 pounds. He had a spear that was 27 feet long. Can't even imagine this. It's just, it's just massive, if I understand correctly. He's huge. He's a warrior from his youth. And he comes down every day for 40 days back to back saying, give me someone to fight. Give me someone to fight. And of course, at this time, Saul is, he has nothing inside of him. He's, you know, when you, when you ask someone a question, they say, I got nothing. That was Saul. He got nothing. He had nothing. He had no courage because God wasn't with him. He had no fear of the Lord, so he was just terrified. And so that went through all the ranks. And it looks to me like this, uh, this guy keeps coming back day after day, 40 days back to back, cursing, blaspheming, making fun, asking for a man to fight. If, if I win, then you guys, uh, you guys will serve us. If you guys win, we'll serve you. And I don't think they meant that because as soon as he died, they took off. But he said, uh, here's how it's going to roll. And he continued to do that. And of course, David had no idea this was happening. This is where he was watching his, his uh, sheep. <coughs> but his dad had three older boys, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah. They were out there. They were soldier boys. They served the country. And dad was curious about what was going on. So he asked David to come, and he put in a carriage some 10 gallons of uh, of, of, of uh, meal or uh, wheat or something that he could cook with. He, he sent 10 big balls of cheese and he sent some other things with him and, and some bread and said, go and put this in the carriage and go check on, the, check on your brothers and see if they need something. And if I need to pay a bill that they have, they owe someone, take a pledge of them or whatever, let find out. <laughs> and so the Bible's very clear. He made sure that someone took care or took care of his sheep. He got somebody else to do that. And you see responsibility coming in David. <clears throat> and he goes, he takes care of them, and he makes his way, and he's got a carriage, and he takes them over there. As he comes, he gives his carriage to somebody else, and he's supposed to go to the captains and give gifts from his dad's and, and say, say, you know, here's, here's some things my dad wanted you to have. You're in charge of these things. And they give him some things. And then he gives someone else his carriage, and he's watching what's going on. He's seeing that his own guys are afraid. The difference is the Lord is with David. The Lord is not with Saul. He doesn't have that fear. He has confidence. He, he knows he lives in the fear of the Lord. He's found out that he can trust him. And he goes and he's listened to all this and he sees the same man they see. But he doesn't have the same thing in his heart. He doesn't have the fear. He has the confidence that not him, but God doesn't want this happening. He sees something bigger. And he knows that God's heart is that all the world may know, all the earth may know that the God of Israel is the true God. And God has not changed his mind about it. He wants all the world to know that Jesus is God, and only through Jesus you can have eternal life. You can have forgiveness of sins. He wants us to turn them 
from darkness to light, from the open their eyes and give them forgiveness of sins and inheritance among the brethren. The heavenly vision, the apostle Paul got as he told Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. He said, look, this is what God wants. He wants people to have their eyes opened. He wants them to turn from idols to the true and living God. He wants them to know what it means to have their sins forgiven. He wants to know what it means to have inheritance with Jesus and to serve him. This was the heart that God has. And, and David, once again, he was a man after God's own heart. So with he listen to this man, his blood starts boiling. Let's look real quick at a couple things in your Bible, if you would, and we'll make some, make some, um, make some observations, I think, that can be helpful to us. I want you to look at verse number 46, and I just want you to hear this. And this is kind of the end of the, the battle there, but he says in verse 46, This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. So David is standing and looking at this foul-mouthed, arrogant, nine-foot, six-inch warrior. He says, I will smite thee, take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And I want you to read the cause. Are you ready? That all the earth... Can we read it again, please? That is God's heart. He, goes, he said, here's why I'm doing this. I'm not doing this for me. Oh, he found out if he did defeat him, he would be enriched by the king. He would be the son-in-law of the king, marry Michael, and be able to marry, marry the king's daughter. And his dad would not have to pay taxes. And he probably liked all of that. But that wasn't the major motivation, I don't think. He wanted the whole world to know that the God of Israel was the true God. You know the story, but let's just pick up, if we can, please, back at the beginning of chapter 17. We see verse number 4, four and they're in the battle. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. I mentioned that. His helmet, his brass on his head, and his arm from a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, 155 pounds. He had, the, he had the greaves of the brass upon his legs and the target of the brass between his shoulders. It looks like to me, as I, as I see the description, every part of him is protected. He is protected from his head all the way down his chest, his legs. He is, and then he's got, a, he's got an addition to that. He's got a shield carrier out in front of him. So he's got one other guy out in front of him that's got a shield. So this guy is very much protected. But it's interesting what happens, and you know what happens where he gets nailed. Let's look at verse number 8, can we please? And he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why are ye come out to set your battle array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight me and kill, to kill me, then we'll be your servants." But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard those words of the Philistines, what were they? They were, they had no answers. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. 
Here is, I think, the key two words in the whole chapter. And they're the next two words. Do you see what they are? Now what? Now David. God introduces to David. So now David was the son of the Ephratite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons, Jesse, went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of these three sons went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, second, Abinadab, and the thirdborn, Shammah. I want you to read verse, eight, uh, verse 14 with me, would you please? And David was the youngest. Verse number 15, the Bible says, But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near among or morning and evening two times. The Philistine came out and presented himself 40 days. I want you to just notice two things I wanted to strive home with you. Number one, the power. Now, there was a problem here. The problem was the leadership had failed. The problem was there was not a love for God and a proclamation of his, of his, of his purpose. There was, a, there was a problem of purpose. They had forgotten what they're there. They weren't there just to have a kingdom. They weren't there just to get lands and conquer. And they were there to let the whole world know that there's a God in Israel. That's why they were in existence. But there, that's the problem. But you also see the providence of God working. But here's what I want you to see, the key here. And we have the same problem. We have a world that doesn't know about Christ. We have people like you heard this morning in Afghanistan, a little guy watching a television program and says, this goes against everything I've been told. Kapha, against God. But this is like a wonderful God there. Who is this Jesus and where can I go visit him? You say, Pastor, that's nuts. I think it's probably more common than we think. People don't even know who he is. Much less they can have forgiveness of sins. That's our problem. It's a problem here. But I want you to notice the problem was solved with now David. One man. One person. Like tonight, I'd like to just challenge you. What is your role? Could I say now soon? Now Gene, now James, now Philip. Philip, are you calling people on your phone this evening? You want to order pizza for everybody in here or what? <laughs> Philip, David, Linda, your name. Here's one guy. He's not, he's not the oldest. Matter of fact, he's the youngest. He's not the strongest. He's probably the weakest. But here he is, and he's in the middle of this thing. I see several things about him. First of all, he was disciplined. One of the things I love about our young people learning instruments is they learn discipline. They learn to practice. They learn to do things in private so they can perform in public. When you see young people sing over here or play or play an instrument or pianist or harp or cello or, you know, one thing you know is they didn't just like, ah, oh, I think I'll try this. Ah, you know. They have done a lot of time in private. One thing I love about David is you know he spent many, many hours developing the skill that he never thought it would take him to the palace, but it did. He spent a lot of time in quiet. He fought his little battles out there. 
You know, folks, there are battles being fought right now. And David, when I think about him, his role here, it was just now David. David's in the middle of this. And I want you to realize that God wants to use you. So, Pastor, I'm, a, I'm just a wife. God wants to use you. I'm a single adult. God wants to use you. I've, I've been divorced. God wants to use you. I make minimum wage. God wants to use you. I'm on a fixed income. God wants to use you. I'm deaf. God wants to use you. I don't have but one language. God wants to use you. I can speak two languages. God wants to use you. God has a plan for you. And in this world that needs to hear the gospel, and there's almost 8 billion people who are sucking air on terra firma and breathing, they need to hear the gospel, and God has a plan for you. Children, God has a plan for you. Teenager, God has a plan for you. Something God's trying to do. And the Bible tells us the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of him whose heart is perfect toward him. I think someone needs to get serious about what is really my role. Because one day, 20-year-old, you're going to be 40. 40-year-old, you're going to be 60. 60-year-old, you may be 70 or 80. And you're going to look back over your life and say, what have I done? What, is, what have I done? And you're going to be able to evaluate in two ways, what you did and what God did through you. God is looking for opportunities for investment. And I don't exactly know what. Some of you, we need to go. God's been calling us for a long time. So there's a place in the world you need to go. You're still in here in five years. You're going to be out of the will of God. To a pastor, I got a good job. You need to go. It's not your job. It's God. God's putting something together. All of us need to sow. All of us need to give. Every one of us. I don't know how many of our people give to missions, but I would say not enough. I'm so thankful. Last week, $35,000 was collected for missions. But still, I can't help but think that if all of us would ask God, what do you want from me? What am I supposed to do? In a few weeks, we're going to take that faith promise commitment card, and we're going to do something, and we're going to say every week, every week, if I'm on vacation, I leave it here. But every week, I'm going to put this much in for world evangelism. God's challenging our heart. Many of us are scared to death. We're scared with the administration. We're scared with taxes. We're scared with all kinds of things and a pandemic and when's the reception and when things are going to fall out. All that stuff God's not one bit afraid about. And I don't know what you should do, but God's going to speak to your heart. All of us need to give. Every child needs to give. Every teenager needs to give. It's amazing. I mean, boy, I like, I like it when the church sends the... Um, the giving records to the Wilkerson home. And I like to see the kids. This is yours, Drew. This is yours, Judson. This is yours, Mason. This is yours, Coleman. Can't remember all the other kids' names. But, you know, start giving them that, you know. And I, and I see them like, ah. One of them putting it back. And I remember walking away and looking at that. I don't know if they're happy or sad or glad. But I'll tell you this. That ought to be something that I'll get a hold of them. And say, you know. And I, I tell them. I said, now go and evaluate what God gave you last year. Divide it by 10, it should be at least this. Whatever you file in your taxes, it ought to be at least that. And then, then learn to give beyond that. Let God help you. Let God give through you what he not give to you. 
But everybody ought to do something for the cause of world evangelism. Some of you, you really need to go. And let me just say this to you. Which of, the, of, of David's kids went? It was his youngest. Now, I want to tell you something. You young people, the young can learn languages faster. The long, young are a little more adventurous. You can adapt quicker. You got a little kamikaze in you, a little adventure. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not, I can't call anybody to the mission field. And I wouldn't want to do that. I want God to do his work. But it's the young. It's interesting to me that he chose the youngest kid to be the king. And I think many of us, we are, well, we've got our pipe dreams and what things we want to have. And, you know, we, and many, many young people just think about a, a, a Starbucks and an iPhone and a truck or a car or having this or having that. This is their dream at the expense of not getting the gospel to people. I think about David as he said to his brother, is there not a cause? Isn't there a reason to do something that doesn't have to have a dollar sign on it? It's not about the taxes. It's not about the girl. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's about that all the earth may know there's a God in heaven. As we get into this month, and we'll talk more about it, but I want you to notice now David, in the middle of a problem, a desperate problem, a problem where the whole country was in fear, dismayed, they had many more questions than answers. He got his answer in a man named David, someone who was pure, someone who was cunning, somebody who, was, who had fought some battles before. By the way, I think about that. Later on, he would tell Saul, look, when Saul came to him, he was critical. He said, you, you can't fight this guy. He wasn't willing to do it. But he said, you're, you're, he's, a, he's a warrior from his youth. He said, I did kill a lion. I did kill a bear. They took, they took the lamb. They took one of my sheep. And I grabbed him by the, by the chin. I can't even imagine this. I slit his throat before he knew what happened. You know what he did? He, in, in times, he saw God use him in the little battles, and it helped him in the big battles. I want you just to think about this. First of all, if for all of us, you say, well, pastor, this sermon's not for me. I'm not young. Most of us, many of us in this room, we got most of our life behind us, not in front of us. But that does not excuse us from praying that God will send forth labors. It doesn't, it doesn't excuse us from doing something. Sometime next time, instead of giving your money to Mickey Mouse, you might want to go to the mission field. Just spend your next two weeks vacation and sit in the mission field and go watch, watch missionary children while their mom and dad go do something. Go help them with their schoolwork. Go, go so in. Miss Dan, Miss uh, Carolyn Daniels sent, uh, sent me a text this week and she said, Pastor, I went so in on Thursday. He said, I've never seen such poverty in all my life. He said, most of the floors did not have floors. They were just dirt floors. I saw eight people in a room, eight people in a room, and they need Jesus. And the translator I was with, we were sitting down in the back, and I got to share the gospel with them. The other translator got to lead someone else to Jesus Christ. And these little people sitting in these little huts, these little, these little lean-tos, what a beautiful thing it is to see them get saved. This is a grandmother. It's a widow woman. Said, you know what I'm going to take? I'm going to take it. I'm going to do something, go somewhere. 
work, do something if I can be a help and a blessing. I want you to think, what does God want you to do? I don't know what that is. Not all of us are supposed to do that, but some of us should. Not all of us, we can give a big bucks, but we can start somewhere. When it comes to missions, some people stop at nothing. They don't give anything. They just think everybody else is going to do that. I remember one time talking to someone, well, I give occasionally, you know, if it's something. But may I say to you, giving on a weekly basis, people who give systematically give more substantially. So, Pastor, what do you want to do is every week? Because by giving every week, you'll give more substantially than someone did just every time they have an impulse. Ah, we'll cut a little bit of here. I got a little extra. I sold this house. I sold this car. I sold this bicycle or motorcycle. I can do this and just give a little bit extra here and there. We ought to all do that. But when you learn to give systematically, you'll give more substantially. And the byproduct of that is our heart is very interested in what God's doing. I believe this is one of the most important months of our year. And what we do in this month is going to determine the destination, humanly speaking. God does all the saving. We understand that. But more people could hear the gospel. Millions of people could be saved. Millions. Depending upon what we do and what God does in our hearts, in the hearts of our young, hearts of our people, in giving, in serving, in encouraging.